Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome along to the Slacktivist Action Group. Nigel Farage wants to be the British ambassador. He has told us he's retired. It is the worst retirement there has ever been. He said he was going to retire to get his life back. He's obviously decided he hasn't got a life to get back, so he's going to keep on annoying us instead. He's desperate to be the go-between between Britain and America. Now, I personally don't mind that, depending on how he goes between. Because in between Britain and America, we've got the Atlantic. If he walks, I'm well up for it, ladies and gentlemen. This is the man who he says he is anti-elite. Now, obviously, Donald Trump is anti-elite. Now, if Donald Trump is not the elite, and Nigel Farage is not the elite, and Theresa May is saying she's not the elite, who the fuck is the elite? <laughs> the only thing that seems to be willing to be called elite at the moment is a condom. <laughs> Although presumably not for much longer, we can look forward to the Durex anti-establishment condom coming out. It's not actually a condom itself. You just open the packet and there's a little photo of Nigel Farage and Donald Trump in a gold lift and it just puts you off sex completely. <laughs> Nigel Farage, he famously said, I would feel worried if a Romanian family moved in next door to me. Imagine how worried you'd feel if Nigel Farage moved in next door to you. You'd be worried about all those students sticking their knob through your letterbox because they got the wrong house. <laughs> and then he said, oh, when I'm on a train, I feel uncomfortable when I don't hear any English voices. But let's face it, if you were on a train and Nigel Farage was sat opposite you and you spoke two languages, you'd speak in the other language, wouldn't you? <laughs> just so as you could talk about Nigel Farage and he wouldn't know what you were saying. <laughs> Nigel Farage's wife is German. Presumably when he's on a train with his own wife and she's calling home, he feels uncomfortable. <laughs> Mainly because he knows she's probably slagging him off. <laughs> I mean, I don't speak Arabic, but if I was on a train opposite Nigel Farage, I'd be tempted to have a crack at it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 
So here to discuss Farage, Trump and Brexit, would you please welcome Chukaramuna, Susie Boniface, a.k.a. Miracolumist, Fleet Street Fox and Henning Vane. Welcome along, everybody. This is the Slapfist Action Group. Just to make everybody feel uh, feel at home to begin with, we're just going to uh, sort of introduce ourselves by talking to the group about something we're slack about. So, Henning, let's um, let's start with you, if that's all right. Uh, would you like to confess something that you would, in an ideal world, you'd be slightly less slack about? I wish I was less financially prudent. <laughs> <laughs> That would really improve quality of life. I mean, all that thinking of the future and all that, I really hate myself for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just generally more slack about stuff. I am generally not as financially prudent as I might be. I'm always losing things. Recently, I'd lost my credit card. And I was in a bar, I'd had a few drinks, couldn't find my credit card, so I borrowed the phone behind the bar to cancel the credit card, forgetting I had, in fact, a couple of hours earlier, actually put my credit card behind the bar to pay for the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Susie, what about you? What, what would you like to offer to the group? I don't want to offer it at all, but I'm going to have to. Um, <laughs> I'm probably the only woman in the room who's going to admit to this, but I wish I was not so slack about not shaving my legs in wintertime. <laughs> because uh, two fundamental reasons the first is that if I don't groom I'm fundamentally a Wookiee I'm one of those uh, women I'm afraid <laughs> and um, secondly is that I've got this kind of really deep instinctive and I know it's wrong but like a deep little racial memory that if I don't shave my legs I'll be warmer and I, I know that's complete bollocks but I, I just can't be asked to have the argument with myself because I find it easier just to not bother doing anything about the leg fur so don't date me in February. <laughs> I, I, I think you would be warmer, though, surely. I, That's the whole idea, isn't it? I mean, I, I can talk from experience, and just not, not in terms of leg hair, but in other hair. <laughs> and I've got to wear a hat, otherwise I can't think straight in the oh, winter. I, yeah. I'm perhaps talking to the wrong group of people here. <laughs> but, um, trust me, extra hair in your leg really doesn't make an awful lot of difference, okay. not significantly. Uh, maybe there's a scientist in the audience who could answer that one for us, but I don't believe it really works. OK. Chuka, what about you? I am slack about eating healthily. I eat so much junk and rubbish. and uh, You don't look like you eat. I do, though, I do. And I, I was actually thinking about this on the way here. They get MPs to get involved with, like, anti-obesity week or health week. Now, do they look like the healthiest group of people? <laughs> and, like, in New, New Palace Yard, which is this green patch in front of Big Ben, uh, you, you know, sometimes they bring, like, dancing. You know, Michelle, Michelle Obama does these dancing classes with kids. They, like, get you there. And you have these MPs trying to look healthy, and they're not. And so I'm not really that different from a lot of us in that sense. No, well, you, you, you look better than most of them, certainly. Yeah, I'd, I like, I'd rather I like... see you dancing than Eric Pickles, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, mm, you don't want to see me dance. No, you don't want to see me dance. That's but I like my DJ. Dom- Who likes their dominoes here? You know, Friday night, bit of red wine, dominoes, goggle box. If it's just Friday night, that's you fine. Know. It's when it's Monday to Friday. That's when, that's when it's a problem. And I've had a big mat on the way home, but, you know. So, Chucky, you've had a, a busy week. You were setting... Uh, there was a little meeting for um, Open Britain today. You were also... Uh, you set up Vote Leave Watch. I did. You did, and we yes. found out, didn't we, last week from the Chancellor that 
apparently over the next five years, Brexit is going to cost us 60 billion. Mm. Now, we obviously, we pay the EU net 200 million a week. It now appears, according to the Chancellor, that actually leaving the EU is going to cost us net 230 million a week. Let's fund the NHS instead, eh, Chucker? Well, you know, you should be chair of Vote Leave once. <laughs> you know, become a patron. But, yeah, where, where is that 350 million on the bus? That's what we want to know. People laugh because they're not sure they're going to they're gonna see that 350 million. But this whole Brexit means Brexit. If it means anything, I think a lot of people who voted to leave thought that there would be £350 million extra a week going to the NHS if we, if we leave the European Union, and I think they'll feel very let down if that doesn't happen. But the bigger thing about this is that I just this is massive for our country. This whole Brexit thing is going to turn everything upside down. And how we can make sure that out of the, the mess when it lands, we build something better and can make sure that the younger generations actually get a say in this process, because they're the ones who are going to have to live with this, and they've frankly been erased from the debate. How we can ensure we build something better for them is going to be a big challenge, but that's got to be, be the focus. David Davis, though, he said, didn't he, he said recently he was going to be, have to be nimble, he said, to complete the Brexit negotiations in two years. Now, if you, talking about MPs and uh, their healthiness, if you wanted a word to describe Boris Johnson, nimble would not be it. <laughs> No. I mean, we all saw, didn't we, when he played rugby, what happened to that poor Japanese kid? <laughs> if Boris Johnson w- was in a china shop, the bull would be found innocent. We know that. He is pretty nimble on a bike, though. I did a story once, uh, years ago, when we followed him uh, when he was in London. Him? No, we didn't. I didn't fucking race him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I sent a photographer to follow him on a bike uh, on those on his way to work on his commute. And uh, he was, you know, mounting pavements and knocking down pedestrians, sending children flying, that kind of thing. And uh, we had it all on a, on a video on this photographer's front of the a little GoPro on the front of the bike. And we got it all. And I phoned Boris's spokesman, who was Guto Harry, the uh, oh, former yeah, newsreader. And I said, Guto, we've got Boris running six red lights, doing this, doing the other. And he said, no, no, Boris would never do that. Boris is very, very definite about cycling safety. He's spoken to me about it a lot. He is very committed. This is an outrageous slur. Definitely not true. And I said, good, so we got it all on video. And he paused for one minute, and then he said, well, in that case, Boris is very, very sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And that's pretty nimble, isn't it? He's exactly the kind... I think we need Guto in the the Brexit negotiations rather than Boris. I mean, one of the weird things I find at the moment is you have all these people looking, you know, interpreting what has happened with Trump and Farage. And they've all said that this is an uprising against the establishment. And then you think, who are the tribunes of the kind of uprising? And then you've got Nigel Farage, a former stockbroker. You know, does he look anything other than establishment? This guy became an MEP when I was still at school. And then you've got Trump, you know, billionaire, you know, very wealthy family. Again, it's supposed to be the tribune of the people against an establishment. And the the absurdity, you get all these people writing about how awful the establishment is, but they've been part of it for as long as we know, and they stand in gold lifts with marble... Well, that's it. Well, well, Boris was obviously in trouble last week. He'd been talking to the Italian minister. He'd said, "Oh, yeah, do a deal with us, otherwise you won't be able to sell your prosecco." In that's the UK. right. And then the Italian diplomacy people. The Italian, mis- <laughs> the Italian <laughs> minister abandoned the Panettone market. <laughs> yeah, What's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Italian minister had then said to him, "said Well, we might sell one less prosecco to one country, but you'll sell less of everything." 
to 27 countries. Yeah. And, you know, goodness knows what Boris said to that. And he's probably, any chance of some Prosecco or whatever, yeah. you know? But the serious point is, in the, in the end, it doesn't really... I mean, they're like 3.2 million jobs which are linked to our membership of the EU directly and indirectly. And in the end, for somebody like Boris... If it goes belly up, people lose their jobs or their wages go down, it's not really going to affect him. It's not going to affect him. Whereas my constituents, who in the main did vote to remain, but even if you're in a leave area as well, in the end, they're the people who will suffer from this. He thinks it's all very funny to talk about Prosecco, but in the end, we need to do a deal with these guys. We need them to you know, feel goodwill towards the UK, to feel that it's in their interest and our interest for us to be able to do a deal that we can all live with. And all the noise is off that you get. He is supposed to be the foreign secretary. And all the noise is off you get from him and Farrah. Exactly, it's a joke. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's, unfortunately, it's reality. But all those noises off, that is not going to help us get the kind of deal that we need so that, as I was talking about, the next generation, so they can go on and do well, better talk, than the last. Talking of the deal, so it looks like Parliament will get a vote on triggering Article 50, depending on what happens with the Supreme Court. Now... Labour have said that they're not going to oppose this, but there would be a chance to add an amendment. At the moment, it seems that when you vote on the final deal, it'll be a sort of take it or leave it. You either yeah. take the deal negotiated or we'll leave the EU without any sort of deal. There is a third option on the table where you could actually revoke triggering Article 50 if you've put that amendment in, mm. if Boris has fucked up the negotiations, which we, we think he might. No, he's well. just going to fuck someone during the negotiations. <laughs> no, I, I don't think Parliament will stop Brexit from happening. So that's why I think Article 50 will be triggered. And in the end... It's not so much stopping it actually happening, is it? It's just that you could put some conditions on, on what the government well, need to do for those things. The government's got a mandate to take us out of Europe, but it doesn't have a mandate oh, to do... No. Hands, hands, <laughs> it does it, not. It has a mandate to take us out of the European Union, but the terms on which we leave, there's who knows what people were voting for. All there was when everyone here voted was, do you want to leave or do you want to remain? It didn't say, do you want to leave and completely trash the British economy? Um, that, wasn't, that wasn't the option that people were voting for. And so, in the end, I don't think it's unfair for Parliament to say, look, on behalf of the people, um, we need to have a proper discussion about at least what the outline of the deal is. I think what's really worrying me at the moment is... What is happening to the debate around this is verging on the sinister because up pops the governor of the Bank of England, the Bank of England giving independent analysis on how this is going to affect your livelihoods and your jobs and they shout him down and say he should resign. The judges who are overseeing this Article 50 case simply doing their job. There's going to now be a march on the Supreme Court and next up is the Office of Budget Responsibility and this just has a bit of the whiff of the kind of 1930s shutting down debate and I don't think that's what our country is about. I don't think it's what we want to see. And people who are simply doing their jobs, serving the people and giving voice to the people we represent, we should not be muzzled. And that is what some of these people are trying to do. And I say, no, I will speak up for my people. Susie, you've written various columns in the Mirror on this. One of the things is, is will the public actually, when the final deal has been negotiated, will the public... Is there a chance the public will get to vote on this uh, again? And people saying, oh, well, you know, it's just rehashing it. But, I mean, everybody has learnt more 
after the referendum about the EU. We're all, you know, it's not just the public, though. It, it seems even <laughs> Boris Johnson is learning every week. <laughs> Surely there is a case for us to have, you know, an, another say, the public. Yes, but you've got to remember that uh, about a third of the electorate absolutely couldn't be asked to have a say last time. And there were lots of people who were desperately saying, this is a lie, that's a lie, that's not quite right, that's wrong. And uh, it still got ignored. So it wasn't that people were voting in total ignorance. They were almost like willfully, people were voting with their emotions one way or the other as opposed to with the facts. But the reason I screamed bollocks at Chucker earlier on, apart from the fact that it's just insane, is that, you know, there is no mandate for this, despite the fact that I... I am hearing every day almost on Twitter. Audience audience will get there going in a moment. Audience get there going in a moment. I keep hearing every day on Twitter that 52% of Britain voted to leave. No, they fucking didn't, right? 37% of the electorate voted to leave. And that's actually 26% of Britain, of the country. If you take into account all the other citizens who can, who can vote, who can't vote, who didn't want to vote, if you, take, if you put, as, you know, you can't say that there was a stronger vote for Remain because there wasn't. People could not be bothered because they're busy watching a YouTube video about cats shagging a donkey or something. But there are more people that did not vote for Brexit than did vote for Brexit. Yeah, but that's uh, how election work, isn't it? No, it it's not it how democracy out. is supposed to work. Democracy is supposed to be the government of a whole nation by the whole nation or all the eligible members, not the people who could be asked. So, if there are not enough people have turned out, the government has failed to ensure democracy and therefore you should declare the whole thing fucking null and void and start again. But, but, yeah. but yeah. You, yeah. Had, you had a higher turnout in that referendum, I think, than you do in and a general election. And that shows just how apathetic people are about general elections and politics in general, and that's why we should have mandatory voting, because governments don't have the right mandate either. And it's I not d- well, I mean, I'd love to join in this, but yeah, I've just heard there's a, there's a video on YouTube of a cat shagging a dog. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only thing I'd, I'd say to that, I mean, that definitely, I don't think people are apathetic about politics. I think they're apathetic about party politics. And actually, if one good thing came out of the referendum campaign is actually seeing people from different parties for once on an issue where there's agreement, whether you remain or leave, to see us actually working together, I think people found quite refreshing. I do have sympathy with Susie on this, but I think in the end you have to have a set of rules that you apply to these kind of ballots. I hate the fact, like, we should get rid of this stupid first-past-the-post electoral system we have, by the way. You know, less than 25% of people voted for this government that gave us this damn referendum in the first instance. Um, So, of course, we got to fix our democracy, but I think the problem I have with saying ignore it, rerun it, is that I, you know, in the end I agree to the set of rules under which it was fought. And I think it will look incredibly patronising and undemocratic to just ignore it because I don't like the result. I'm and, sure, I, and I'm not sure yeah. it will help us heal the division. But one, one thing no, well, you've got to remember that when Hitler was elected in Germany, it was 19% of the electorate that elected him, and everyone at the time said, "Well, you know, they're, they're the biggest number of people that actually turned out. Therefore, we've got to go with it. Therefore, we've got to try and work with it. Therefore, we've got to respect the office." And, you know, Look what happened there. But, but more... I mean, in terms of, like, you know, if we accept that 52% of the country did go for something, the fact that we are going to leave the EU, the, there is footage now on the internet, they've put it all together, of all of the leave, main leave politicians saying, yes, when we leave the EU, we will definitely stay in the single market. Now, virtually all of them saying, we definitely need to leave the single market. Surely, if they've changed their mind after the referendum, why can't we have a crack at changing our mind as well? Well, 
This is why we set up Vote Leave Watch, which is to hold these people to account for all the lies, the myths, the untruths, the mistruths that they peddled, because they think they can now just walk away from that and go, sorry, it's all over now, you Ramonas, or... I was called a Romanian by, uh, <laughs> by Nigel Farage. And do you know what? I am proud to be a Romanian Nigel. Um, but you wouldn't they... want a Romanian living next door to you, though, would you? <laughs> I'd rather a Romanian than bloody Farage. But anyway... We set it up to hold them to account because I think in a democracy, particularly if you're a member of the House of Commons, you should be held to account for the promises you make. And, you know, you've got five members of the Cabinet now who made all these promises, a £350 million extra a week. If you're an EU citizen, you will be guaranteed the right to stay here. And I think they can just walk away from these things. And I just think in a democracy, you've got to be held to account for the things that you say. Very much so. And how, how would you go about that? Well, I, one interesting thing, actually, on the... Uh, it's a good question. You arm the public. Well, you, you, you make sure that you... Well, you want Johnson to stamp up the missing well, money. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example, actually. If it's £350 million extra per week, I've been told other people on the campaign, we've got trade unions involved, the Greens, other parties, etc., involved with our campaign. People will say, shut up. Stop banging on about this, you Bramonas. Accept the result. And I'm like, I do accept the result. And if Brexit means Brexit, then it certainly means we get that £350 million a week. And one of the gratifying things is the polling coming out of the autumn statement, this £350 million is like number one of the things that people are disappointed about. Now, I don't think if we and others who'd been campaigning on this, if we hadn't kept it up there, kept banging on about it in the papers and on the media and on the TV, I don't think we would have kept that in the eyes of the public. So that is just an illustration of what we're doing. But if there is another Sorry. referendum, people are going to have an absolute field day in terms of what they're going to put on the sides of buses, isn't it? Because people now know it doesn't have to be true, doesn't it? You know, what you want. Leaving the EU is going to cost us £60 billion. Why don't we all have a nice holiday instead, or whatever? Why don't we all have free Marmite, or yeah. whatever it is? Yeah. The buses are going to make an absolute killing on a second referendum, no doubt about that. But how has, how has Brexit been for you, Henning? You're you're touring at the moment. The, 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 the German comedy ambassador. I mean, the tour seems to be going brilliantly. We, we're not so fond of foreigners coming over here unless they, they make us laugh by taking the piss out of us. Yeah, but I played safe. I'm in every town only one night at a time. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, so far, I mean, I don't... I don't rely on European Union handouts or anything, so I'm not, I'm not personally affected. So, uh... Fair enough. Well, at the moment, in terms of trying to work out what's going to happen, we've had Boris Johnson saying, well, he thinks we're going to leave the customs union, but he wants us to stay and get free trade. You yourself, very keen we stay in the single market, but are hoping that we can negotiate on freedom of movement. Now, it seems that everybody is projecting their own possible scenarios, what amazing things we might get from these negotiations. Surely the truth of it is, is that actually we've got very few skilled negotiators to actually do this incredible deal for us with Europe. And it turns out from what I was seeing that our most skilled negotiator turns out, in fact, to be quite possibly Mrs Clegg, who's not actually available to do any negotiating because she's too busy writing cookbooks slagging off Samantha Cameron. <laughs> Well, in an ideal world, you wouldn't be sending in Liam Fox, Boris Johnson and David Davis. I don't think they'd be on your list of your top negotiators. But I think we've got to, I think, I think we've got to be... Um, <laughs> well, unless you You've had a terrible hostage situation been, yeah, and, you, and you wanted to keep the police dogs safe and you, you just sent those three in instead. To I take mean, them yeah. they, they, they really would not be your first choice. But I think we should be, I think we should be 
ambitious and we should be mature about the way that we do this. And I think in the end, we've got to put enough on the table, which is a big enough offer beyond the immigration and economic offer, but security and intelligence and the rest of it, to make it attractive enough for our European partners to give us a deal that they can live with. And I think, you know, clearly single market membership, you know, so many jobs rely on this. It's not just a question of like free trade agreement, tariff free access. It's all the environmental, employment protections, all those things and having a say on those rules. But on free movement, this idea that it's some kind of biblical concept and it's never been restricted, well, we, we already have restrictions on freedom of movement. We're not part of that Schengen-free passport area where you don't have to show your passport when you go to another EU country, you have to do that. Um, there is a habitual residence test where you can't claim after being here for three months without work from the benefit system, you can actually be asked to return home. So they've already accepted some restrictions on it, and we're going to allow us to restrict it even more if we voted to stay. So I think there is definitely a possibility of reaching a compromise. And for them, look, they've got this coming down the, the road. They've got their publics are as angry and frustrated at the, the, the failure of the economic system, this globalisation that we've got, to deliver for middle and low-income families. You know, we could end up with Le Pen in power in France next year. Before that, Matteo Renzi may resign in the next few weeks over this referendum that he's got. And then Angela Merkel's up for re-election. They've got this wave of discontent coming off the back of that 2008-9 crash coming on them too. And so it's not like they don't have to reform the way the big EU juggernaut works, because they need to do that. John McDonnell has said now that we, you know, we should be more positive about the advantages of Brexit. Mm. But if you were seven out of ten, as Corbyn was supposed to be in terms of remain, you're not going to be that positive about Brexit if you're only three out of ten. Surely John McDonnell, if nothing else, he should be fighting for a soft Brexit or, you know, because words are important, a good Brexit, as it's now been called, or, or a better Brexit, or a less shit Brexit. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but surely that is should what, what Labour hierarchy should be fighting for, eh? We should be fighting for a less shit Brexit, yes. as you put it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, def- definitely. And, and I think one of, the, one of the things that I found that's dismayed me most post the, the vote is this wave of... Uh, hate crime that we have seen and even in my constituency so my constituency is in Lambeth the centre of the universe we got the <laughs> we got any Lambeth people <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we got the highest remain vote yes <laughs> in, but even in Lambeth I was on a police patrol just seeing what they do my neighbourhood policemen and we came across this big piece of uh, graffiti uh, make um, Britain indigenous again spelt incorrectly um, but we haven't seen that kind of thing in our area since the NF left you know stopped doing things three or four decades ago and I do think that these leave campaigners the leaders of those different leave campaigns bear responsibility for that that is what they have unleashed and it's a disgrace Talk, talking on disgraces let's move, move on to Trump um, <laughs> Susie, you've been writing in the mirror about quite a lot about this. Obviously, Trump, was his big pitch, wasn't it, to America, was to make America great again. But America is the world's only superpower. It is the greatest. If you're going to make it great again, you've got to make it worse first, which is presumably what he's about doing at the moment. Yeah, and he's also said he's going to take the country back. Who the fuck from? I mean, who's, who does he think is running it? Because they're in charge of the whole sodding planet, last time I looked. 
Um, he's just, and he hasn't actually specified, to be honest, how he, I think he's spelling great wrong. I think that's the trouble. He should be spelling it G-R-A-T-E. Uh, and then it would make more sense. You, you're talking about the apathy of the public, but it wasn't in the end that he won because he got masses of Republican votes. He actually won because not enough Democrats could be asked to go to the polls. How crap a Democrat do you have to be to take one look at Donald Trump and go, oh, can't be bothered this time? Exactly, yeah. And it's all blamed on Hillary. It must be her fault because she's the wrong kind of woman or she's got the wrong kind of thing going on or maybe she's a witch. Uh, and they, you know, <sighs> America. I just, I want to go over there and just give them all a big slap in the face. So what the fuck are you doing? Well, so, it, it, the leader of the free world has just been elected by... Um, Less than the popular vote, but by about 47%, I think it is at the moment, of the popular vote in the US. But that is 0.86% of the planet. So the man who is in charge of pretty much all the nuclear bombs and pretty much all the wars and pretty much all the spending and the trade and everything else has been put there by less than 1% of the planet. And there's this lie, and it's the same with Brexit, that because a small minority of people who were angry enough to go to the polling stations did so, and everybody else was busy looking at that cat video, um, <laughs> didn't, that, or voted for somebody else, or voted Green, or you know, split the vote, or anything else, that therefore we all have to go with that tiny, angry minority vote. We don't. We can fight it. We can. I know this is against the whole ethos of slacktivism, but we can fucking argue the point, possibly over a bottle of wine, yeah. um, that, that this is not acceptable, that, you know, that most people in America didn't vote for Trump, uh, most voters in America didn't vote for Trump, and that nobody really wants Trump, and he's just got the angry white over 45s earning more than uh, $100,000 a year to vote for him, and he's, he's got done it by stoking the fires of fascism. He may not be a fascist himself, I don't think he's Hitler or anything else, but he's fanned those flames, and what the trouble is going to be is that once he's in power, what's going to happen with that fire? Because as soon as he gets blamed for not being able to do the stuff he's promised, he can't build a wall on a fucking mountain, no matter how much he promises he can. Uh, he, he cannot deport 11 million migrants without crashing the entire US economy into the ground. He certainly hasn't got enough people to go and round them up and send them over, the, over that wall he ha can't build anyway. When he can't do all these things, who's he going to blame for it? Because if he doesn't blame someone else, he gets the blame. And he's such a narcissist, he won't better take that. He's going to blame somebody else. He's going to blame the Mexicans. He's going to blame Hillary again. He's going to blame someone. And he's going to use all that anger as a flamethrower and... Yeah. That's it. He said he's going to drain the swamp, isn't he? And he appears already to have drained the swamp, and whoever he's found there, he seems to put straight into his administration. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, I think uh, his suggestion for Attorney General was a man who's been banned from being a judge for being too crazy. So that's just astonishing all by itself. And obviously implications for all countries, worries about the world economy... Gold on the rise, everybody nervous what's going to happen to people going into the safe haven of gold. Turns out it's another Trump masterstroke. His lift now worth that much more than it was two weeks ago. From our point of view, Henning, it's been all of those Trump jokes. They had a really strong effect on the outcome of the election. You know, the Americans famously don't do irony. It appears that they don't do satire either. The only section of society that seems does do satire is animals, really. In the sense that very rarely these days do you see chickens crossing roads or horses going into a pub, do you? So how, how have you found the public responding to, to Trump in terms of when you've been talking about it on stage, Henning? I don't talk about that at all uh, because I live, in, I live in the United Kingdom and uh, try to speak about the United Kingdom. So I'm 
I mean, the Americans, let them get on with it, uh, whatever it is. Uh, the world survived George Bush, so I'm sure <laughs> will survive Trump. Only just. And only just. Yeah, only just. But um, people, people were saying, though, weren't they, that we, we shouldn't normalise Trump, that it's not normal that having this sort of misogynist, racist, self-serving hypocrite in the White House. But if you look at history, it sort of is normal, isn't it? In in terms of the Nixon tapes, maybe as of nothing, to when we finally get those Trump tapes, David Frost no longer with us, but I'm looking forward to the movie Trump Paxman or or whatever... Whatever it might be, Trump Fleet Street Fox. Did you grab the pussy, Donald? Is again, it's a thing. I mean, you have to accept that that's the outcome of the election, isn't it? I mean, you can always go, oh, yeah, but not everyone in the world did vote in the American election. I think that's how the whole model works anyway. But, um, <laughs> so. We should. Uh, Fuck it, we should. We all get to say. And, you know, to be honest, it, 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 it's almost that we should be, as you said earlier on, we should just say, well, we live in the UK and it's not part of us. You know, we don't have to listen to Nigel Farage going, we have to go and talk to, Ni- we have to go and talk to Donald, we have to kiss up to him, we have to make friends with him, we have to apologise to him. No, we fucking don't. He's a cunt. Well, as long as... We do not have to say anything yeah, nice but as to long- this man. As long- as long as there was a NATO, the only ones, uh, the only ones with weapons, so we probably, I mean, that's because that's a funny thing. We He'll can also in Europe, in Europe, we oh yeah, we want to be pacifists and we don't want to invest in the defense budget. And oh yeah, that's not a good use of money. Well, then the result is that you rely on the Americans to defend you, and uh, well, then essentially, uh, well, you have to accept whoever they throw up as their president. So and then you have to I be on good terms got, with them. You know, I, I kind of look. I can't stand the man. I think he's vile. <laughs> you know, he's an Islamophobe. He's a racist. He's a misogynist. But I think for the Democrats and like people who are sensible, progressive people, we need to show a bit of humility. I mean, in spite of all of that, um, you know, huge numbers of women voted for him. More Mexicans voted for him than Romney. And we could just say, well, you know, in the end, not everybody voted. It's not a majority of people. Let's just slag him off and divide society even more. Or what I think we should do, and it's the same here with Brexit, my people voted to leave, is defend uh, human rights, these basic things we hold dear that these people want to trample over, but then work out how do we build a bridge to our fellow citizens? Why are they so discontented and angry that in spite of these hideous things these people are saying, they're voting for them? Surely the bigger thing for us to do is to grab that support without conceding on our values and illustrate that our way is the way that we can actually get this crazy system to work for more people. Well, this, um... where, otherwise, otherwise, where does it get us? We just end up with more division, more of this, and that plays to their agenda, that plays to their kind of politics, and it doesn't actually produce any solutions for anyone. Well, this, is, this probably leads us on to this, this new term, the, uh, the alt-right it's basically oh where alt is standing for very or far or extreme. Oh, my God. But we can, we can take that term for ourselves, presumably, yeah. you know, Nigel Farage, not just the tosser, he's an alt tosser. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. If we just dismiss people who voted for Trump or voted for Leave, of course there is going to be a minority of those people who are outright racist and there's no compromise with those people at all. But if we just dismiss all these other people, maybe it is your former blue collar in an industrial community, 50-something white male. If we just dismiss these guys and go, look, 
up with your views we will not put. We're just simply leaving a vacuum. But we need to Has anyone seen those alt-right videos, by the way? I mean, shocking that that is happening in 2016. And we need to call people out for what they are, aren't they? I mean, BBC interviewed Marine Le Pen. Legally in France, they can call her fascist. It's gone to court. So if they can call a fascist, we can definitely call a fascist. So you could easily go, here we are, talking to Marine Le Pen, the fascist. Even if the BBC introduced her as fascist McFascist face, <laughs> they would be on strong legal grounds. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we don't challenge these people, but it's a damning indictment in part of our politics and the arguments that we've been making that they are more attracted to that than they are to our arguments. And look, the challenge for us is how do we craft our message and our offer in a way that beats with the progressive part of every person and overwhelms the part of them that is fearful and anxious about change? And there's so much of that going on at the moment. That is, that's our challenge. It's easy to dismiss it and say they're awful and shout and be angry about it, but how do we actually make sure that our politics and what we believe in prevails? That is the bigger task for us, surely. And it's been your task for about 20 absolutely. years, Chuck. Well, I haven't been Labour's, in politics Labour's that long. I've been, I've been an MP for six... I've been... I've, I was you know, say, we have, say you, I mean Labour, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I think that's a, that, that's a fair comment. I mean, to the Clintons, the Blairs, all these people did lots of good things. You know, Clinton saw 21, you know, 23 million more people employed under him as president. But there's a whole load of people in Detroit, in these places which had older industries which have just fallen by the wayside. They've seen their jobs exported to India and China. They're seeing technology potentially put them out of work in the future. Of course they're going to be anxious. Of course they're going to be insecure. And there aren't... E- I think the biggest challenge for a lot of people who don't just operate in 140 characters like Trump is that we live in a grey world, frankly. And it's not a black and white world. Black and white's so much easier to, to kind of communicate. The people who actually get the nuance and the complexities of the world and occupy that grey space, we've got to be better at communicating the route through all of this. Yeah. And it's not just communication, it's like, you know, obviously policy as well. But it starts also with just empathising. People need to hear that we actually get the situation. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Over in Germany, obviously, Angela Merkel has given a cautious welcome to Trump. I mean, her and Obama had a tricky relationship in parts because obviously the Americans have been bugging her phone for 10 years. She phoned up Obama to complain, didn't she? Which was presumably unnecessary, given that he, he probably already knew <laughs> she, she wasn't that happy. But she's standing for a fourth term in Germany. Elections coming up next year. She's dealing with the far right in Germany, the New Party, Alternative for Germany, who are yeah. very much, uh, you know, anti-Islam, talk a lot about the lying press, which the far right over here don't tend to do so much, given that often the, the press in this country are as far right as they are. But what, what do you make of the situation over, over in Germany at the moment, Henning? Well, it remains to be seen. Uh, it's still an, a year to go until general election, and... Same with, you talked about earlier about first-past-the-post system. In Germany's proportional representation and AFD, they are now in many state parliaments in Germany, and that means they will have enough time to properly embarrass themselves uh, <laughs> in front of the, the, the great public. And uh, so I can't see them doing very well, because that's usually how the far-right movements in or the far-left movements in Germany come to an end, is essentially because of proportional representation, all of a sudden they have to find 30, 40 people that are sane enough to represent them, <laughs> <laughs> represent them in Parliament, and then they just can't find the numbers. So, <laughs> and that is, I think, that how UKIP think, wouldn't, they wouldn't be as strong as they are in, in the UK if there was proportional representation, yeah, because what yeah. we're seeing in the... Uh, European Parliament with them knocking the, I mean, the crap out of each other and one passing out. There's PR in Well, they couldn't even find a leader for uh, 10 years. Every, every second time, Nigel had to step back in because they've so, either resigned or, as you say. And that's then the sort, I mean, that is the sort of damaging PR that you say, well, you can't really entrust those people the future of the country because they're clearly not even capable of organising their own affairs. And there's obviously a lot of anger in Britain, you know, the people who were angry, they've had their say, so the other half of Britain are angry, so as you're going around the country, there's a lot of anger out there. I was thinking if maybe we could use anger as some sort of renewable energy in, in Britain, <laughs> it could be quite incredible, couldn't it? Basically, one of the problems we're in power, isn't it, is that sometimes the wind doesn't blow, but maybe when the wind doesn't blow, if we could get Jeremy Clarkson, or maybe Sarah Vine, or Melanie Phillips to have to shout their own articles into a wind turbine <laughs> it could make for good stuff in Britain yeah absolutely or smoke coming out of ears and all steam coming out of ears and what have you so yeah there is a lot of uh, unharnessed power um, what, what have you made of this uh, this safety pin campaign the idea that people are wearing a safety pin on public transport now to show that they're safe to talk to I don't think it's going to oh, catch on. Yeah. Just a little... You know, it's basically, it looks like you're a starter punk who's not been able to commit. <laughs> really. But I was thinking those, those full-on punks who've got safety pins all over their jacket, they're going to get a lot more chat on public transport than they were expecting now, aren't they? Oh, now, if I saw that... Yeah. I mean, that's the, sort, that's the sort of symbolism that makes me want to vote leave, to be honest with you. <laughs> 
and this has become this sort of trope now, really, of people saying, oh, well, you know, you can't talk about immigration without being racist. It sort of seemed more true to me that actually now a lot of people don't seem to be able to be racist without feeling they've got to mention immigration. It seemed to be more the other way around. And what, what's your experience of that, Henning? Well, my, uh, my current show is all about immigration. It's, uh, it's an unbiased look at immigration. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people are perfectly willing to listen to it. And I mean, it really is unbiased, so I see good reason for being against immigration. At the same time, well, there is good reason to embrace the world. And... Uh, yeah, so and I'm probably, my, my audience is probably slightly biased anyway because A, they're coming to a theatre and then to see a foreigner, so they're probably, <laughs> they're, they're probably not fully representative of the country at large. But, uh, <laughs> Chuka was talking about the rise of, of hate crimes, but generally, whenever I've seen people in Britain in a distressed situation in public, I've always been pleasantly surprised how amazing the British public has been at those cases, which is why I've grown to hate the the sort of rise of the prank show more and more, the dark and darker. If if anybody is ever a victim of a prank show, a street prank show, don't, you know, when they show you the camera, don't laugh and sign the release form. Punch them in the face, <laughs> then have a laugh, and then pass the release form back to them to sign themselves. <laughs> would, would be my recommendation. So we're, we're running out of time now, so we should, we should go to questions very shortly. Just before we do that, I should uh, point out we, we run last Monday of every month pretty much. Next one, December the 19th, is going to be our Christmas show. We have Miles Jupp host of News Quiz going to be here. He'll be here with Dr. Sarah Wollaston, MP, and also we've got Michael White from The Guardian. Check out the website, andyparsons.co.uk. In January, we've got Russell Kane and Pete Wishart, MP, Scottish nationalist MP, used to be part of Big Country. And then in February, we've got the journalist Owen Jones will be here and Dan Jarvis, MP, in here. But check out the website for the details. So anybody who's got a question for one of our three panellists, one down here. Um, you believe in compulsory voting. So if voting is compulsory, then it's got to be an offence not to vote. So if it's an offence, you've got to have a punishment for not voting. What is your suggested punishment for not voting? Ritual disembowelment. (laughs) (laughs) Not a very practical answer. I think it would get everyone to the ballot box, which would be useful. In Australia, I think it's $20 from memory. I think it's $20 in Australia. and then What if you don't pay that? Well, if you don't pay that, then it's $50. Um, you don't pay that. <laughs> I'm not aware of the full details. Anybody else got a question that they would, uh, they would like to ask the panel? Chucker, a question for you. We're just about to enter a very worrying time. We've been talking about it. 18 months ago, you decided not to stand for leader. I think to a lot of people's disappointment, one thing that we need now is a bloody good opposition. Between 18 months ago and now... The world has changed. This country's changed. America's changed. Chucker. Sort your life out. I'll save Chucker's slight embarrassment there because obviously there's no vacancy at the moment. But um, you stood for three days, then you, you went enjoying the press scrutiny. Cue massive more amount of press scrutiny on your public life. But do, do you want to you know, answer the gentleman's question from. Oh, well, well look, I mean, uh, I, I said um, after my three day bit of fun <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, for me it wasn't the, the press scrutiny 
um, of me didn't take me by surprise. It was my loved ones and my now wife. And um, I hadn't really built a kind of infrastructure and campaign. I was preparing to be the, the business secretary. I hadn't built a infrastructure to protect them, and I kind of felt that that wasn't very fair. Um, but uh, I never say never. There isn't a vacancy at the moment, and I want the Labour Party to yeah, be the best opposition. <laughs> well, <laughs> officially, 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 uh, officially, there. There, there there isn't a, a vacancy. But I, I want to get the Labour Party into government. What I mean. sort of infrastructure are you referring to? What sort of? Infrastructure? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, you know, when you stand to be the leader of a party. You have a campaign, you have people who can look after your media. And actually, one of the things initially when you start off in these things is you can't use any of your existing stuff because they're all paid for through the parliamentary authorities. So I hadn't, I hadn't built any kind of campaign made up of people because I had been preparing to be the business secretary. So the next time, if there is a vacancy, one would make sure that you had that in advance. Get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on with it! <laughs> the Slacktivist Action Group, they're yeah. impatient. They want, they want more. So let's have... Um, so Jeremy Chuck is can. the leader, so I think, you know, yes. you need to give him a chance. Let's have, uh, let's have one... It's the cat versus donkey in the audience now, isn't it? <laughs> so let's have one last question before we, uh, we wrap up proceedings. Oh, we've got one down here. Um, hello. It's kind of a question for for everyone, but there's been a lot of discussion about division. I just wondered what people think is the thing that might unite. What is the thing that might unite us all? Anybody want to go first on this one? I think, seeing as we're all very slack about things and no one's going out to vote, we can't disembowel people, unfortunately. I think perhaps we could just have a mass blocking of Donald Trump on Twitter. That would help. There was talk, wasn't there, on, on maybe on uh, the day that he gets uh, inaugurated, to do something for somebody you love and uh, completely ignore uh, Trump on, on Twitter or, or whatever social media you use. So that, that could be one way. That hurt a man. You know, to do something alt apart from being part of the tosser right, as it may be. <laughs> so, do you know Chucker. one of the good things, actually? Because I represent the area that had the highest Remain vote, I went and spent some time over the summer in Boston, Lincolnshire, which scored the highest leave vote. And do you know what was just so interesting is that all the issues that had driven those guys to vote to leave and, you know, the anti-immigration sentiment there were all the same issues that we have in Lambeth. The labour market, wages falling, higher rents, higher house prices, all of the issues were the same. And so for me, that said, there can definitely be a meeting point. And I think... Ultimately, what we have to do, and this is something I think everybody can rally around, is we currently do not have a system that works for enough people. And I think all the people want to know, and this, was, this is as much the case in Lambeth as it is in Boston, is that if you work hard, you play by the rules, you put in whatever your race, creed, colour, background, you will get the reward and get a decent level of security. And at the moment, the system doesn't do that. But that ultimately is something that unites every group, whether you, you know, whatever your age or race, whatever part of the UK you're in. And that is what we've got to be focused on. I think that's the route for the Labour Party to do what my friend wants us to do here, which is to get into government, is to go back to the real Labour Party, which is to represent people in work. Because that way, I think people vote for us. And you could say, well, what about the people who aren't in work? But if you don't have people working, earning enough to deliver the goods to the Exchequer to support people out of work, you don't get anywhere. That's the core of it for me.
on that note, thank you very much for coming. For those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast. It's just one click. We'll just wait for a moment while you do that now. <laughs> That's been done. Please, everybody, spread the word. We're normally at the Soho Theatre uh, last Monday of the month, so please come back. If you get an opportunity, please tell about the podcast. In terms of what we've got coming up, please check the website. We always ask people if there's one thing to do in between shows. So vote Leave Watch if people are more interested in finding out and keeping people... Yeah, sign up, join. We've had tens of thousands of people join. It's www.votelevewatch.org.uk. Sign up, help us get the word out and hold these people to account. And, and, and it, the, idea, the idea is you basically hear them saying something and then you, you just shout at the television a lot. That's no. not what they said on June the you, 22nd no, and then pass go, it on to you. Yeah, you go, you go to their surgeries, yeah. you make sure your mates who may have voted leave, you give them the information so they can see why you voted to remain and then there's a bit of a meeting of minds there. And, you know, when they appear on platforms on Question Time, they turn up on panels and do sessions. You question them. Hold these people to account. And we aim to arm you with the tools to do that. But this is why it's a grassroots movement. Brilliant. So join Vote Leave Watch. Also go out and see Henning on tour. Just to let you know, there are other tours available starting <laughs> February 2017. Details on the website. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. Often uh, with these things, when something like Brexit happens or Trump happens, people go, oh, well, you stand-ups, yeah, it's great for you, isn't it? You've got more to talk about now. As if we don't actually have to live in the world as well. <laughs> as if, like, World War Three happened and we, all the stand-ups go, oh, brilliant, that's another joke I've got on that one then. <laughs> and shit will always happen. Any creature that produces poo and wee and sweat and snot and spots and bogeys and B.O., they're always going to want to laugh about it, as my five-year-old proves every week. <laughs> I can sit him in front of an iPad and he'll have a laugh, or I can say in any random order, poo, wee, sweaty bum bogeys, and he will be entertained just as well. <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the road? because he'd heard that the sheep had shat himself and he wanted to have a laugh about it. That, that is the answer. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please give it up for our panel tonight? Please give it up for Chikaramana, Susie Boniface from The Mirror, and Henning Bay. Thank you very much for coming. See you again. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.